0: thanks to our sponsors now back to the show (laughs) stories scripts and conversations with creators this is the brave maker podcast cool joy hoover on the podcast today (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to do a double crossover because I have two different podcasts. I have the Holy Cannoli podcast, which is all about the sacred and strange of spirituality and faith. And then I have the Brave Maker podcast, which is all about people that are bravely creating and making some sort of difference in the world. And you are doing all of the above. You're in d- different sectors, creating and serving and helping and advocating, and you're mixing a pioneer entrepreneurial kind of thing, you know, with people in Las Vegas and beyond, but you're also intersecting and weaving in faith and spirituality, which is like just everything I love and want to be mm-hmm. about. So, so yeah. So, uh, why don't you just give our listeners sort of a, a bio, we'll jump in, talk about Cupcake Girls and everything you are doing and you're about, and then we'll just kind of just chat from there.
1: Okay. So, yeah, so just share a little bit about the Cupcake Girls Yeah, and, yeah, just, okay, you know, cool.
0: how you got to where you are.
1: So my husband and I have been married for 14 years as of September. And honestly, we met at a pivotal time in our life where we were working at a church and we both were not happy with where church was and how who was being included in sure. being cared for. And so, long story short, we we've done a lot of different things through our life of starting a coffee house church that was called Coffee Cigarettes Jesus, and sitting <laughs> in a you know a crappy coffee shop with people and having dialogue with them to hear about their stories and hear about their lives and provide pop tarts and sit and just discuss. Um, and then we did some work when when I, I was in fashion school in L.A. So we did some work there with the LGBTQ community and homeless community and just again our whole goal was. We believe everyone has a story, and everyone deserves to be loved and cared for equally. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was like building new experiences, coming from a very conservative, evangelical upbringing in a city that's pretty very conservative, um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, our eyes were really open to some of the nuances of the world and people's stories. And so um, we came to Vegas in 2009 for a vacation. And we uh, when we were here you can't walk down the strip mm-hmm. of Las Vegas without kind of seeing that the amount of the adult industry that's here and what's happening and so we really couldn't shut that off we um, and that sounds weird to say so let me explain mm-hmm. um, we just felt really impacted as we started researching how many people are working in this, the, the adult industry how many people have access to non-judgmental resources and who's doing something about this and so those questions led us to selling everything we owned, and uh, three months later, and we drove into Las Vegas with a few suitcases in our one, our Jetta that we had, and started serving the community. Um, my background's hair and makeup, so I literally went into the Adult Video Networks um, convention, the largest porn convention in the world, and I was in the bathroom of the convention center hoping I didn't get kicked out. With hairspray and lashes and lipstick and just every person that walked in, um, my question to them as they were wa- washing their hands, coming over the mirror was, "Hey, do you want your lipstick touched up? Do you want some lashes? Like, can I spray your hair?" And they looked at me like, "Who the hell is this girl?" <laughs> uh, is swearing okay? Just of sure course, yeah. It. We we okay, put a okay. little
0: thing. We put a little thing in before. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> okay,
1: sounds good. Um, <laughs> and then. Um, Immediately within seconds, we're like, yes. And I started hearing their stories and engaging with seeing pictures of their children and hearing where they were from and, and starting to see the similarities of even though I didn't have experience working in the adult industry, what I know to be very true is that we are all human and humans have the desire and need to have inherent dignity and to be seen and cared for and loved equally and provided resources. To further our lives. And so that weekend for us was pivotal in this is our purpose. Going back to my husband and being like, babe, there's no one that's doing this here and in a non judgmental way. Um, so we spent a year bringing cupcakes to strip clubs. Um, connecting with folks through hair and makeup, driving out to legal brothels to connect with uh, the women that were working in those places and listening to their stories and providing the resources when they'd reach out and need something. And in 2011, we officially started, uh, filed a 501c3 non-religious, non-political, nonprofit because even though we have faith, which has evolved significantly over the last 10 years, um, We didn't want anything to be a barrier for the people that we were caring for and the people that we were linking arms with towards their goals. And so it's really evolved over the last 10 years. We have a branch in Portland, Oregon that's now um, eight years old. We have... um, Last year, we gave over $500,000 in holistic resources away to adult performers, people working in strip clubs, people doing street-based sex work, anyone that works in any genre of the adult industry, and there's zero agenda to the services we provide. It's a 100% client-based care, trauma-informed. We're not re-traumatizing people to make them tell their stories again or to call the police. We don't have they because our we're funded all privately with individuals that care about what we're doing. We don't they don't have to turn in their trafficker. They can just be supported. So literally uh, 2 weeks ago we had a client come in who in a t-shirt and her underwear from running from her trafficker hmm. walked through our doors. And we immediately rallied around her with a blanket. We went to get her a meal, a vegetarian meal, because she hadn't eaten in a while. And we let her rest on our couch until she was ready to talk. And then we had our advocate sit down and talk through whatever she was comfortable talking through. And it was at her pace, at her timing. And then we were able to provide immediate needs between housing and food and even clothing and that sort of stuff. And the list goes on with therapy and other things and legal support, but that's kind of the care we provide and how that's kind of evolved over the last ten years.
0: Wow, I love hearing the evolution stories of people's faith and journey and in work. And so I'm really curious because you've said a couple of things that are really intriguing to me. Uh, the non-judgmental resources, I think that's a really significant thing. I'd like to kind of delve a little deeper into. But maybe you could start by saying, because we talk a lot about, on my Holy Cannoli podcast, we talk a lot about faith and uh, the church, and there's a lot of great conversations happening about the evolution of what the church is, and how do we express our faith through a church, and what is a church? What things have we learned that we need to unlearn? It sounds like you've you know done some things over the past 10 years, because you alluded to not being satisfied while you were on staff. So maybe you could start there. And just say what did that look like when you and your husband were on a staff of a church and were recognizing there were people being excluded or not everybody was equally being invited or cared for that kind of launched you into this next phase of your life?
1: Yeah, so we were working with the youth and there was thousands of kids that were coming. Um there was seven services a week.
0: Um This is in Michigan?
1: And yeah, in Grand yep. Rapids, Michigan. Okay. And um my husband especially his passion is for was for kids that were kind of in the hardcore scene the mohawks the belts the Mm -hmm. you know skateboards and all that stuff and so he really loves he would love he would literally bought his pants from women's skinny jeans from express
0: (laughs) like i
1: still laugh about that now skinny jeans are popular he still wears them but what size is your husband
0: can i ask what size jeans is this guy wearing
1: (laughs) Dude, he is six six. What the? He's six six. He's so tall. I I will send you a picture. You could add to this. He how he wore like I don't know what size, but I love it. He's so tall, That's so great. he could only find them at Express to make them tall enough for him. <laughs> I mean, so good. I like him
0: already. So yeah. What, what's his name? He's
1: pretty great. Phil.
0: Phil. All right, Phil. Yeah. A, a plus in my book. Okay, keep going. <laughs>
1: yeah he would connect with uh, with the folks and he started a music venue on saturday nights so that there was a place actually friday nights because there was church saturday night where kids could come and listen to good music and eat you know one dollar pizza and like have a safe space and we put cigarette butts outside so that they could you know smoke their cigarettes Mm -hmm. and trying to do stuff that again like catered to that community yeah and he started getting written up all the time about the cigarette, you know, the, the bins with the cigarettes and about kids that would bring their skateboards into service or about kids that pants were falling down or inappropriate.
0: What do you mean written up? Like the leaders of the church would give him demerits, yeah. write him up. Like that's a negative. Basically. Thing? I see. Yeah. I see. And,
1: and so, and, and so it just got to the point where it was like, this is not worth it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're literally the kids that we feel like, Shh. I mean, should belong here. I mean, everyone belongs, you should belong, but what we felt like was the very people that needed to have community and needed to be loved unconditionally and needed support, which is what the church is supposed to do, wasn't happening. And some, they would even get kicked out by security sometimes. And that was kind of the last straw for us. So we started this kind of coffee house church back in 2008 or seven I don't even know. It's been so long. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just, we were like, no, you're welcome here. And it was just with this coffee, this coffee shop that was like this old and dirty was connected to this music venue. I mean, probably hadn't been swept in a while, a hot while. Uh Um, and, and just said, we're going to come here and it's going to be a safe space for you.
0: So did you create that separate from the church? Like, did you leave your position at the church and then go do that in the same city?
1: Yeah. So at first he was still on staff there, but they let they let him kind of do that in a separate like in the evening, and then yeah he he stepped stepped off staff there. Wow. And it was right downtown. We called it South Division South Division House Church. It was on the corner of Division Street in um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right downtown. Um. And then yeah, and our our motto was coffee, cigarettes, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we just Love sat it. with people, and it was that was probably. That was a pivotal moment for us of seeing how our shift in, in, in putting humanity first, putting human centric love and connection could change us Mm -hmm. and could change the path of uh, where we were headed.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So I kind of hear you saying you started to notice maybe some of the rules that maybe the unwritten rules, but maybe they then became written. That who mm-hmm. could be allowed, what you needed to look like, what mm-hmm. kind of uh, habits you needed to have or not have. And I think it's so interesting. You know, like the, the cigarette thing is really fascinating to me. I remember, I remember somebody who was kind of like you in my life who had. A really beautiful picture of Jesus. And, you know, I was a kid who also smoked cigarettes and I got expen- uh, expelled from, sc- or suspended from mm-hmm. school for showing up to a dance drunk. And I was not the kid that you would want to come over to your house if you were a church kid. But I remember there was some really cool grace-filled church people that saw beyond that and that let their kids hang out with me. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't know Jesus as I do today. But I remember somebody saying something about like, you know, cigarettes don't send people to hell. They just make them smell like they've been there. So give them a break or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like Uh the way that we categorize people by what they do, how they look. And we immediately judge them and condemn them. But this person was like, no, whatever. I, I'm not going to send someone to hell for what they do. You might smell kind of gross, but that's fine with me. I still love you. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's really neat that you were able to speak into so many kids' lives just by welcoming, like literally welcoming them to a table to drink mm-hmm. co- to drink coffee and talk about Jesus. That's that's mm-hmm. really cool. So how did that? So from 2008 to 2009. How did that kind of evolve into a greater philosophy of what it looks like to be the church with you all?
1: Yeah, so moving, we moved to California in two thousand and seven. So I guess that was two thousand six um, okay. for a year, and that's where I went to fashion school in downtown LA. My husband worked near Skid Row, as actually as an apartment manager or something, some sort of leasing manager, basically. And he would hang out with on Skid Row at lunchtime every day with a, a homeless person or someone that lived in that area just to get to know them. And we started going on dates with my friends and their partners um, at from fashion school um, and and getting to know different communities because we were raised so conservatively that, you know, we didn't know, it. we weren't friends with a gay person, even, a, I mean, I was raised in Upper Michigan, and I didn't realize this until like two years ago when I did the research, but uh, Upper Michigan, where I'm from, there's less than 1% black people mm-hmm. that live in Upper Michigan. So as far as people of color, LGBT, not one out LGBTQ person, um, so very non-diverse in what we who we knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just started listening to people's stories and connecting. We, we ended up moving back to Michigan in 2008, um, cause our, 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 my husband's father was having some health issues. And so we lived back there for a year and then we went on vacation. That's when we went on vacation. Um, I could be off by a year on these dates. Sorry. I haven't really like mapped out the dates, but
0: I'm not going anyway. to check you. I'll just trust you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and it ended up the like six months when we were back in Michigan did, um, a weekend away in Vegas because we got a good deal. Mm-hmm. And that's when we ended up in Vegas with that's that great. experience and, um, us deciding to move to Vegas a few months later.
0: That's great. So when we talked like a month ago or maybe two months ago, I don't even know because of our mutual friends. And, um, I remember when we were talking, I forget Jesse, who's our mutual friend said, Oh, you got to talk to joy because she's doing really cool out of the box type of stuff. And, uh, she knows that I've also done some work with sex trafficking. And I loved when I first talked with you because you have a different take on sex trafficking, quote unquote, those two big words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you started out at the top of the podcast just talking about working with those in the sex industry and uh, the non judgmental resources. And I know I'm just like, t- talk about that. Like, how did you get to a place? Because it could be really taboo. You know, the church, we're not good at talking about healthy sex. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're not good at talking about, like, sex between two committed people in marriage. Mm -hmm. We just don't. We're afraid of sex, I think. right? And so, but you're talking about sort of these fringes, marginalized communities and trying to bring value and dignity to people who are involved in sex work. And I just thought that was really, like, it kind of perked my ears up a little bit. Like, I have some things to learn from you, even. So, Mm -hmm. let's hear... How did you get to a place with all the conservative upbringing and lack of, you know, diversity and people of color and, you know, in any kind of way, shape or form? I'm assuming it was very difficult for you to get over that for yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I literally jumped in. So we got into Vegas, you know, and and seven days later, I was in a porn convention bathroom, the largest porn convention in the world. I hadn't even... I don't even honestly know if I'd been in a sex store at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh I laugh and joke and maybe this is T- TMI for your podcast, but when when my when Phil and I got married, he literally uh like went online to like Am- wherever Amazon or whatever and like had like lube and other stuff delivered because he didn't want to go get <laughs> right. stuff from a, a porn shop, you know, adult sure, shop sure. because he was so uncomfortable. Yeah. And they, they sell Lube here, at Target
0: now, thankfully. I mean, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. very helpful. <laughs> but yeah, keep going.
1: Take the stigma off Lube.
0: That's right, that's right. <laughs>
1: uh, anyway, so it's been like a journey for us of like, wow, this is a new reality. But yeah. from day one, just like we saw kids as kids and human beings, sure. not as different because they had the Mohawks or they smoked cigarettes. It was the same thing for us. And so when you humanize people, it's really not that different to humanize someone who's gay or someone who's a porn star or someone who is a, is a kid, punk kid smoking a cigarette that says a few cuss words, you know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately we complicate that because we're so judgmental. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I do think at first, I think over the years, if you look at stuff that I wrote 10 years ago to now, even the way I talk about it and the way that I feel about it has evolved because I've heard more and more stories and you can't simply like we use a William Wilberforce that says like, once you know, you can walk away, but you can never again say that you did not know. I mean, I can't ever go back to getting a phone call from, a girl in um, one of the first strip clubs I ever went to who called me at two in the morning and said, I didn't know who else to call. My boyfriend just threw me down the stairs and I'm not sure if my baby that I'm carrying is okay or if I am. And so Phil and I got up and put clothes on and went to her house. We didn't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. He changed the locks and I sat with her and talked through the nuances of where she was at in her life with her baby and her future. You know, I can't take those I can't re, you know, forget about that stuff. And so, so for us, I think what's, what's troubling about work in the adult industry and trafficking is that the conversation is still so focused on should people be doing this work? Should people be a sex worker? Should people be stripping? Like it's so focused on the the what they're doing and not focus at all on what's their story. What are this what are the true stats surrounding trafficking and the adult industry? Do people want to be doing it? Do they not? I mean I just feel like why are we talking – like it's similar to some of the other things, but it's even more taboo with sex workers, right? Because sure. like still, still, there's still stuff around LGBTQ community, like oh, did they want to be gay or did they turn gay because their family? Why are we talking about that? Yeah. Let's talk about people's stories. Let's hear from them. What they need, where they're at, what their future holds, what do they dream about, what do they, you know, because honestly, like the more that we continue to see people and judge them. And we've heard stories across the map of at banks, at hospitals, at doctor's offices, like that's part of the reason we've built such a robust network now, 300 partners that our clients can walk into and immediately feel safe and not feel judged and not feel like they're not going to get care because of the work that they're doing. And I just believe that the reason we've hushed and stigmatized sex work and um, adult work, that trafficking is not—people aren't going to tell you they're trafficked if they can't tell you that they're working in a strip club or working the streets. Um, and especially if you seem judgmental or if you feel like—if they feel like um, you're not a safe person for them. They're already not in a safe situation, so they don't need another unsafe person to tell them, oh, what you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. And the stats say 75% of people working in the adult industry, that 25% of people are coerced or trafficked, and 50% are doing it by circumstance or survival. So you're talking about 75% of people that work in the adult industry either are doing it because they did not choose it or are doing it to survive. They, they're doing it because they would choose something else. Yeah. So, so starting out with, oh, you shouldn't be doing this, you're wrong. I mean, Really?
0: Yeah. They're trapped. You're saying, you're saying 75% people of the people who are doing it already feel trapped.
1: I'm, I'm saying yes, that either they're coerced or trafficked yep. or that they are doing it because they feel like they don't have another option.
0: Yeah. And would you say the other 25% just go, no, I'm cool with this. This is good. I like it. I mean,
1: yeah, I think, I think, you know, there the reality is there are people in the industry that sure. choose it and, and choose it and want to be there. hmm the hard part about even those 25% of people is that there's so much stigma around the industry that, you know, two years ago there was five adult performers that took, that took their lives. One being a 23-year-old adult star who just won Adult Performer of the Year. It's like the number one award in that whole industry that you can win. She was 23 years old and was bullied mm so bad right after that that she walked to a park a few a mile from her house and hung herself wow and so the rea- like i just feel like again it's it's this idea of the what they're doing versus who they are
0: sure sure
1: and i will fight till my dying day to help people understand who who the incredibly courageous brave people that we get the opportunity to link arms with towards their goals and their future and their children. 50% of our clients are mothers. And so these are generations of people that need us to first of all, humanize and respect them. Secondly, to say, are you okay? What resources might you need? And, Thirdly, build relationships ongoing so if something comes up, if they're in an unsafe space that they're not raped and then can't call the cops or can't call for help because they're going to say, oh, well, you're a sex worker, who cares? That there's safe spaces. I mean, we, we literally got that call. We got that call from a dancer who a client walked out behind her to her car when she was leaving work at a strip club. He raped her in her back seat, threw money at her, and then drove away, and she called us and said well, he is a client. I'm not sure if that was rape. I'm not sure what just happened. We said, did you consent to that act? She said, no, I did not. Did you, were you forced into sex with that person? Yes, I was. We're coming to get you and taking you to the hospital. Mm -hmm. But if we wouldn't have had that relationship of trust, there's no way we would have gotten that phone call.
0: Sure. So Joy, just based on kind of my experience too within the church, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how we can do better as people of faith in response to those who work in the sex industry. Because Mm -hmm. I think almost everyone's going to say, if we were to ask them, like, do you believe these are human beings? I think everyone's going to say, of course, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe where some of the pushback, I guess, I'm assuming is people always want to go toward the changing the behavior, right? So they say, Mm -hmm. if we're going to engage, we want to see some, evidence of a willingness to change and I feel as if like you're kind of pushing back saying that's not the point so what does that look like how can people be better I mean because someone's never there's gonna be people who might never go to Las Vegas they might never meet someone who's in the sex work working industry but Mm -hmm. they can at least change the way they think about it and that's one of the first Mm -hmm. steps how can we think Mm -hmm. differently
1: right first of all I can say that I I would bet most people know someone who has worked in the adult
0: industry oh interesting
1: I mean, um, there's stated, in fact, I just did a study, there's um, the amount of people that work in the adult industry is millions. Mm. And I think what I'm finding is that people are coming to us going, I didn't even know my friend or my daughter or my ex. So I think it's closer to most of us than we think, Mm. first of all it could net, it could also be your, a person you're in the grocery store with yeah. or your kids go to school with or the list goes on. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but I think it just starts, I think that we have a reaction towards people because of something internally. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts with us. Mm-hmm. I think if we're uncomfortable with some, uh, a, a sex worker or someone who's in that industry, why are we uncomfortable with that? What in our life why why are we so uncomfortable with sex anyways? I mean, we all have it like, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it just starts with seeing everyone with inherent dignity. And truly if as a, as a person of faith, as people in the church that are saying, I follow the teachings of Jesus, he was the first example to do this. He stayed in a house with Rahab. He didn't, it didn't say she wasn't a prostitute anymore. It wasn't, didn't say she wasn't a sex worker. Like, he was sitting with folks that were in the adult industry and that were at the time the least of those or whatever. And so I just feel like, it's not that complicated, but we just overcomplicate it because I think because we don't know what to say or because we feel awkward about it or because we're uncomfortable. And and we tell our team, you know, we, we train people on trauma-informed training on how to work with our clients. I mean, 90% of the work we do is with volunteers. And sometimes those volunteers come from churches. Mm-hmm. And so we say, it, like, we just had four people drive, they're driving to brothels right now to go sit with the women, to do massage, to sit with them, to, to talk. Different thing, you know, to have therapy, whatever they need. And so I always say, it's okay to be nervous and uncomfortable. This is new, mm-hmm. right? I know that you don't want to mess up. I know that you're not sure what to say. I know that it feels awkward or, or scary. That's okay. What I need you to do is just not act, is just sit and listen. And if there's something that's said that feels, you know, off or weird or uncomfortable to you, that's fine. Just don't react to it. And then we'll discuss it after to feel, to figure out why you feel that way and what what was said um, and so I mean, I guess for me, it's become really normal, which I understand is is not normal, right to sit mm-hmm. you know to spend a lot of time in brothels, in porn conventions in strip clubs. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I was pregnant with both my, I have two daughters, both my daughters during pregnancy. I was going to the brothels and strip clubs the the, the actually the women in the brothels did like a mini baby shower before wow. I had my baby. Cool. Um, and so, and my daughter actually in our office when we first got it, we didn't have, I was not being paid more than 8,000 a year, I think in 2013. So she, she, her, my office was her, you know, basically baby room as well. And so our clients would come in and, Play with my baby and we would talk. Um, So, I guess for me, it's just humanizing. It's the same thing we'd do with anyone else, even if we're comfortable. Listen to their stories and see them as a human being.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's some correlation? You know, part of my evolution of sexuality and affirming the LGBTQ community has been getting beyond what I was taught in regards to what is sin right you know there was a time when i always felt like i was on the edge of saying hey god loves all people but it was even hard to be received in certain church circles like god loves homosexuals i i believe that i totally believe yeah. that but i would also add like but he wants them to change right and mm-hmm. so now i'm at this different place where like you know 25 years of being in uh in christendom if you will and you start mm-hmm. to read, you read scripture different and you go oh wait oh this is actually a different story now. The way that I understand people and humans and how they express their love and their affection. And I don't don't think it's sinful to be gay or lesbian or bi or trans or whatever. Um, so I always come back to this place. You know, for me in the LGBTQ community, which I feel like there's some similarities. Maybe you can speak on this. Mm-hmm. Is people want to. They're, they're afraid to condone sin. They're afraid that right. in some way they're going to dishonor God, and that prevents them from loving a human being right in front of them because they don't know. They feel like... A friend of mine often says, sometimes when you know uh, when you think about Jesus saying, "Go be fishers of all people," right? And he would use the analogy about like you expect the fish that you catch to be like perfectly clean right away. You know, it's like catching clean fish. And he would always kind of make this. He's from the south. It was like with a southern draw, but he would say, you know, you can't you can't do that. You can't expect that someone's going to be all put together right away when they come to Jesus. But there's still something beyond that. What I hear you saying is. That's the wrong question even to come into your mind, to go at some point, any day in the future, you don't have to expect this person to change necessarily. You don't have to hope they're going to get out of the lifestyle or whatever that looks like. It's just accepting them and affirming who they are as people, which is what Cupcake Girl seems to all be about. So how do you help people get beyond that? Is it just more theology? Like we actually have to help people understand scripture better and relook at how we understand humanity and sexuality and change and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a nuanced question, right? And I, and I think it's different for different people. Um, It's interesting. I think I told you this, but, you know, we have, we are supported financially by a couple churches, Mm-mm. the Cupcake Girls are, and we have a couple porn companies that support us <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and everyone in between. We have conservative and, and, and democratic and, I mean, all the things. I think what we can align on on both sides is do people matter mm-hmm. and do they have inherent dignity and are worthy of resources? Because that is what we're doing. Unfortunately, over the years, we've lost partnerships. We've lost funding. We've lost things with churches that say, "Well, you, what about proselytizing? What about changing people and and getting the numbers of who's sure. accepting Jesus?" and And for me, my answer is, "How about people who's literally are dying?" Yeah, they're di- I mean, they're actually dying. They're taking their lives. They're you know one one girl recently in the adult industry died of sepsis because she had a kidney uh, she had a urinary tract infection that turned to a kidney infection that went sepsis and died wow. so these are treatable things that because they're in the adult industry and don't have access to proper resources people are dying that is my number one concern mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people are being treated like inhumane pieces of animal mm-hmm. um and so when people start going into, well, how many people have changed and how many, I'm like, well, first of all, they're dying. Yeah. So they're actually physically, not spiritually in your eyes. And that's <clears throat> way more important to me. Um, I think, I don't, I don't, if I knew how to change people's perspective, I would. I think I want to have compassion for people. I was just talking with someone who's a volunteer, um, who who is a person of faith. And I said to her, you know, I want you to know that something here's what i'm understanding because i was once like this 10 years ago nine years ago eight years ago that my perspective of christianity and of the love of jesus was life-changing was the only truth was what i wanted everyone to know because it was so good for me right what i know now is that that is also can be also extremely triggering and traumatic. And people have had some of the worst experiences possible yeah, connected to that. For sure. And so, even though people are well intentioned and go, but I just want people to know the love that I have in life, it is not helpful. And in fact, it oftentimes is hurtful. And so I think if we can just get outside of our box of this is what I know to be true, this is what's real in my life and go, but it might not be someone else's truth. And sometimes that also takes the other side, which can be like emotionally draining from folks to say, hey, this is my story. And here's why I don't want to hear anything more about your God. And so for me, I think it's this our idea of this next project that we're doing, which is uh, this holistic resource center in this space of belonging for everyone, it's going to take both sides talking. It's going to take conservative people that don't have a lot of experience outside of their traditions to listen and to be nonjudgmental and to sit and hear people out. And it's going to take... Folks on the other side with the pain to not just cancel them, to not just be like, eh, well, fuck you then. But to say, Hey, can I just tell you for a minute? This is my story. Mm-hmm. This is how I've experienced racism. This is how I experienced, um, you know, someone abusing me in the name of God. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how I've experienced, you know, the violence and, this and and trying to help people understand. To me, there has to be that dialogue, and that's why I'm so passionate about churches and porn companies. Like, I want to get everyone in the same room to discuss, yeah. so that we can hear everyone's perspective.
0: That's really really cool and admirable work. I, I love people who are willing to run to the places, the the margins, and do provo- have provocative conversations because they are uncomfortable i think you alluded to why do people have such an aversion sometimes to talking about these things i think because deep down we all if we're if we're willing to admit it's like we, I would be watching porn all the time, right? Like, like there's something, allu- you know, like attractive about it. Right. Uh, but I also know that for me, it's not a good thing for me. So maybe sometimes if I'm honest, I could get like frustrated with people who get to do it or get to watch or whatever. Right. Sure. So all these things that are mixed into our, our psyche, and then you add into like the idea of shame and guilt mm-hmm. and, you know, our faith
1: and that mm-hmm. can become
0: a recipe for some people just to be really harsh and awful <laughs> and rude yeah. in the name of Jesus. So, yep. what, what a cool thing to try to get people in in a room, churches, and porn companies like that's just like <laughs> really amazing. I mean, amazing. if it will
1: happen? Yeah, but but I'm hoping hey, to it. keep I, trying. I, I wonder if I heard. I I don't go to church much right now, but we went once this year and. Uh, well, you, you are a church.
0: You're kind of are the, you are the church. Uh, yeah,
1: right. <laughs> a pastor I respect, he was actually talking on the prodigal son and he was talking more about, less about the son who went away and the other son who was yeah. mad, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. And I, and he was, and I thought it was the best perspective on that story because he was like, you know, you might need to think about, are you the other son? Yeah. Are you the one saying, I don't watch porn and I, you know, sure. I do, I do all these things right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and you're celebrating that person.
0: Great. Yep. That's you're really supporting that
1: person. So I think it's an internal thing. Right. Yep. And, and I can, I can see that in my own life sometimes in nonprofit work. Cause sometimes I get super frustrated. I'm like, Oh yeah, go ahead. And am on vacation. I'm going <laughs> to go. Before. Right. Like, you know, I get
0: that. We'll eat ramen again, or we'll just yeah. try to pay rent this later. month. Barely. That's right.
1: <laughs> and then I'm like, no. Yeah. And then I, I literally will have to reframe. Yeah. I'm like, you chose this life. That's right. This is the life that works for you. Sure. Look at the health of your your marriage and your family and the impact you get to make in the world. And you, you are not a victim and you are not a martyr. And that's not good behavior for you as a leader. So knock it off, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that that's something we need to do more. We need to be self, because I think there's this idea within traditional fundamentalism of well, we're just wiped clean by the blood of the lamb. You know, God died for our sins. Like, And you need to die to your sins every day. Yeah. You need to act right, and you need to be self-aware, and you need to go to therapy, and you need to work through your shit because you're not being a good human right now. Mm -hmm. And you're not embodying the characteristics of someone that you say you follow.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's, I think, where we need to start. When we start feeling judgmental about a sex worker or about an LGBTQ person or about anyone, we need to go, oh, what is it about me that I can do better?
0: Right. Yeah. I think as we begin to, like, as our minds begin to expand and our our reach, like we get to hear more and more stories. Again, I love stories. Like, that's what my whole life is about. And I think there's no better way to empathize with someone who's other than you then by hearing their story and listening mm-hmm. and not having an answer, like you don't have to have an answer. You don't have to fix them. You don't have to do anything. You just got to mm-hmm. let that story wash over you and say, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And mm-hmm. I, I agree. There's a lot of triggering PTSD that we people of faith have created mm-hmm. for the world in how we have told the story. We have we have told a story that's not very appealing. That doesn't sound like good news a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what I'm trying to change in my own life with the church that mm-hmm. I work with, with you know my company. And it sounds like you know you're doing it with cupcakes and <laughs> you're doing it. You're helping people give a shit. So let's talk about that. Cause you have a, you have a podcast and you have a whole cupcake empire. So let's talk about what that looks like uh, out in Las Vegas and beyond.
1: Yeah. So we started a podcast over the past few months called humans who give a shit. <laughs> and what's kind of cool about it is when a, a client that we first, when we, we now host, um, a relaxation suite at the AVN. So I'm not hiding away in the bathroom anymore. What's AVN? Um, AVN is the Adult Video Network. It's the same okay. convention for adult convention that I did that I did in the ba- in the bathroom uh, ten years ago. And um, so this year will be our ninth relaxation suite where we host um, about 75 volunteers come and make chef-prepared food with all different dietary restrictions, um, cupcakes, of course, but we also have hair and makeup and massage, meditation, yoga, legal support, therapy support, um, all different resources, and we host that for five straight days during the largest convention in the world. And last, and this, this past in 2019, January, we had about, over 500 performers mm-hmm. that came through the suite to be cared for and charge their phones and talk with someone and eat food. Um, and then, um, so this January we'll be doing it for the ninth time. Um, and at the, one of the first events we did, we had one of the adult stars that was on camera. She was crying because she was like her, her, her literal re, her literal um, statement was, you know, they just give a shit <laughs> and it means so much to have someone give a shit.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, um, and so so we started a podcast um, a few months ago, and our, our first one talks about this journey. And the second one is actually that adult performer who's become a friend over the last nine years sharing her journey in the adult industry and her, her interaction with the Cupcake Girls. And, and so it's kind of just nuanced to talk about people around the world who give a shit about different things and also hearing people's stories within the adult industry, within, um, you know, their experiences, um, a a lot of marginalized folks. Um, so that's been great. And yeah, we, we continue to, to grow and expand the Cup 8 Girls Portland, the Cup 8 Girls Las Vegas. Um, we're looking at a third city right now, but our number one project is something called Local for All. It's going to be a social enterprise and holistic resource center, um, where our clients can come and all one in one safe and inclusive space to be treated, um, to therapy and to legal support and to tax support and to yoga and meditation and dietitian and a holistic approach to caring for them. And also the other side is going to be um, a social impact businesses. So we'll have a few food concepts in there, a cupcake shop, um, a coffee shop, a hair salon, um, and a few other businesses. And where all the proceeds in that space are going back to either cupcake girls or other charities in our community that are impacting other folks and also a job training program for folks that are looking to transition out of the industry, um, and need some job training, need some support cool. for the resumes.
0: That's really cool. You're creating jobs for people. Yes,
1: yes, yes. An opportunity, um, because we awesome. just don't want barriers. And that's yeah. the thing about when when someone comes to us and says, "Hey, I need this resource," and we go, oh, "Shit, we don't have that." Yeah. We're like, "Okay, we got to find it. We got to make it. We got to create it."
0: Yeah. So. That's awesome. So, Cupcake Girls, it, you make cupcakes and you would pass out these cupcakes. That's kind of how it started, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we have a chef that oversees. A, she works at the Win here resort, and she oversees. She's a volunteer and oversees a team of volunteers. They make about eighty dozen cupcakes in Vegas a month. In Portland, there's a whole nut, same operation, different person. And we they deliver strip club. I mean, they deliver cupcakes to strip clubs every single month and to brothels. Like I said, we have a team that just went so out cool. this morning. Um, and we provide other services while we're there, as well as like a resource card for every person we can connect with to say, if you need anything, please
0: call us. That's really cool. Place you. Do you do, I'm just curious, do you name your cupcakes in certain ways? Like I <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to do this, but it'd be funny if you had like the give a shit cupcake, but you probably don't want shit, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but do you have certain names for your cupcake flavors?
1: Well, right now, we just do a signature pink vanilla what? frosted okay. cupcake. So it's kind of our signature like monthly thing. But okay. the cupcake shop will have all sorts of cool things. And that would be a good idea. Who to <laughs> give a shit? I'm into it. <laughs> I love
0: it. I'll, listeners will be able to see because I'll post a little bit of the video. But Joey's cool office is like... Blazing pink in the background, I love it. It's just so on brand with what yeah, you're doing. Definitely pink. I love it. Are you? Did, did we talk? Are you doing some sort of documenting, a documentary about your work or something like that, or no?
1: Not right now. We we are okay. meeting with uh with a, with someone who is a documentarian yeah. um in the next couple of weeks to discuss that option. Cool. Um, because with this next project, right, it's like we built this kind of grassroots. Organization and now we're looking at trying to build out a two point five million dollar project in the yeah. next six to twelve months. And Amazing. so, being able to show that journey of the last ten years, I think it's powerful for the community to see.
0: That's where I think could be cool uh, for Brave Maker for connecting what you're doing and what we're doing. So let's keep talking. I mean, I'm trying. We're going into our second year, and we have dreams of the empire that you have as well. But we want to tell stories and fund. Mm-hmm. films right on brave stories like our whole tagline is brave stories change the world and you mm-hmm. are the story right so you're the story and you're telling all these great stories so in some way i think it would be cool to partner with what you're doing uh down the line and if you know this documentary documentary and you're gonna talk to doesn't work out let us know because we would love to find a way in to
1: yeah that'd be amazing yeah amazing And we, I love what you're doing, and I love. I do agree with you, 100%. Stories will change the world. Are changing the world,
0: right? Yeah. If we listen, if if we listen, listen. that's right. If we let them, if we let Mm -hmm. them,
1: yes.
0: Joy, where can people follow along your story? Where are you located on the socials and your website and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Joy E. Hoover. I don't know why I have the E. It's just a thing. Even though people think my name is spelled J-O-Y-E. I but thought e that at first too,
0: or Joy E. Yeah.
1: <laughs> e's my middle initial for Elizabeth. Um, so Joy E. Hoover and then, uh, at Cupcake Girls org is the Cupcake Girls, uh, stuff. And then at Local for All is Local for All and then Humans Who Give a Shit yeah. Yeah. Is, is the podcast.
0: And the so. podcast is all on like iTunes and all the those places
1: all of the places
0: okay. yep all of those uh links will be in the show notes too so you guys can check that out and now i gotta turn this off because my story is chatting <laughs> back at me anything else you want to say before we sign off joy anything else we missed
1: i think i want to end with hope yeah because well i i always say there's we have more than hope we have action yeah um, and that's what we're doing. And so I, I really hope the listeners, as they're, as they're listening into some of these nuanced conversations, that can be very difficult to mm-hmm, hear, mm-hmm. whether it's someone that's in the adult industry or someone that's in, in faith or whoever's yeah. listening, right? I, just, I want you, you all to know that the shift is changing. And I am so, it sounds like Tony is. I mean, we'll say here, <sighs> right here, we are committed to making that shift. Yeah. And to continuing to show up in the hard days to make sure that people know that they are cared for and that there are resources and hope available for them. Um, And so when we feel like the world is going to hell in a handbasket and it feels really overwhelming, uh, I think that we need to end the day with, but there are people doing stuff and there's hope and there's action. And together we are the change makers.
0: Right on. right on people can come and join your work if they want to come visit you in Las Vegas or Portland. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if this has really kind of got you in some way, go and reach out to joy and her husband, Phil and the skinny jeans uh, That's right. and uh, do a, become a partner. Uh, if you want to give mm-hmm. financially, they're a nonprofit. So, Hey, joy, thank you so much for being inspiring. Thanks to Jess and Jeff Miller uh, who are the ones who connected us yeah yes.
1: love them they're right, so
0: amazing huh? cool keep doing your great work really thank appreciate you. you thanks
1: for your time yeah
0: and
1: let's keep in touch
0: please 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 and let us know <laughs> like if you need if you're like okay we want to do a video we're to do a team um mm-hmm. i'd love to send some people there or whatever and if you're ever in northern california we are doing a film fest in may so if there's anything okay. from now until may even if you have like little story videos or things you want to share we'd love to bring you on Cool. That'd be great. Thanks okay. so much. All right, Joy. See Take ya. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Brave Stories change the world. You are the
1: story.